All right, Jesus, Jesus. Can you guys also, just as I'm preaching, would you do me another, you've done so many favors for me. <laughs> would you guys just be aware of his presence as I'm teaching? Just be aware of his presence. He loves to move among us while the word is being spoken and while truth is being spoken. And the truth, as we speak the truth, you can be delivered and set free. And so just let him to continue to wash over you, all right? Go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. If you've brought a little notebook as well, that'd be really helpful. We're in a series right now called Living for a Greater Mission. Week one, I preached on the markers of a church with mission. And it's all about how we can lose our sense of purpose if we're really too self-focused and how God actually designed us to think bigger and to think together, to be part of the greater mission of the church and to have that bigger purpose and meaning together. And last week, I love Richard's message on fasting. Sarah, she's not here today, but she had a great message title that it should have been, The Fast and the Furious. Really powerful message title. But we looked at the impact of fasting in our lives, and this too plays into living for a greater mission because it's an integral part of the early church life and living for a mission as well. This week, we're opening to Acts 13 and 14. It's a meaty portion of scripture, and this is the first missionary journey of the Christian faith. And I've, I've titled today's message, From Consumers to Ministers. I believe that this will continue to stir in us a passion and a zeal for the more in our lives. So let's venture in together. Have you guys ever thought about the patterns that God has set up in place in science and in history? It doesn't matter what the field of study is. God has designed that there are elements in place that always bring certain patterns. For example, if you're looking like a, a subject like astronomy, People used to think that the stars and the planets revolved around us. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we think everything revolves around us, don't we? Until there was a man named, anyone know? Shout it out if you know. Oh, I heard someone get it. Copernicus, there we go. Most of us really only know Galileo, so that was a safe bet, safe bet. It was just a wrong bet, okay? Copernicus, he theorized that the earth and the planets revolve around the sun as a galaxy. He discovered a pattern of the ways of the galaxies and how they operate in the universe. In history, there's always a pattern. It's a cycle that we always go through, the rise and fall of civilizations. Think about the Roman Empire. I'm sure that they thought at the time that they were unstoppable. There, there are always seven steps to the rise and fall of civilizations. There's technological advance, there's military domination, then there's a territorial expansion that takes place, the rising cultural influence, which that's where we get terms like disciple and apostle from. It was from their cultural influence. Material prosperity, then moral collapse, and then moral decadence, and finally, collapse. It's a cycle, it's a pattern throughout history. In our economy, there's always a pattern. Inflation, housing bubble, unemployment rate rises, leads to a recession. It's, it's the pattern that we see throughout history. 
Well, I want to talk today about a pattern in ministry. If you want to live a life that's full of purpose and meaning, a meaning for God, meaning for how, how there's an output and impacting others' lives, if you want your family to grow and be healthy, to be alive and vibrant, if you want to make a difference in this world, there's a pattern in ministry. So this, this morning, we're going to be looking at a ministry pattern found in Acts 13 and 14, where it's revealed in the first missionary journey. So I, so I think about this for your own life. Think about this for a minute for your own life and maybe what God has called you or what you think God's called you to be a part of. And I think that this is going to really make sense and sharpen the way that we live out our faith. I want to show you first what the ministry pattern is. And then as we go through the text, you're going to be able to follow that outline. So here's the ministry pattern. Number one, communication. This is actually vital. It's, it's how we communicate who God, who God is, how he changes lives, the truth of the gospel, how it relates to us. If our communication is wonky in any kind of way, we're going to lose impact and effectiveness in where God placed us. In a ministry, this is the very first thing that happens, that there's someone that decides to communicate something. And as followers of Jesus, we need to learn how to do that effectively, how we're ministering to those around us. How is it by the way that we are communicating? So number one, communi communication. Number two, opposition. If you decide to stand up and speak for God, it's not going to always go easy for you. As you speak and communicate God's truth, we have an enemy that wants to take you out. He wants to see some retaliation take place. This is called spiritual warfare. So one, communication. Two, opposition. Three, perseverance. If you're not ready to be taken out by this opposition and be deflated, to, to get to a place where we decide to push through the opposition. If you're going to do it, you need perseverance. The power of what God wants to do in and through us. And, and it's going to be halted if we give in to any kind of backing down or, or ending our communication or watering it down in any way. We fall under the pressure of that opposition. But if we persevere, if you don't give up, you don't have to end your communication. You choose to press in. You choose to persevere. There will be a promise of bearing good fruit in your life and in your situation. And that's number four, fruit. There will be kingdom results that can take place. They can be seen, felt, and experienced. Lives will be impacted. You will see the touch of Jesus, like Catherine was saying, touch of Jesus for every single situation and every single person. There will be a harvest. God's kingdom will advance forward. Well, pastor, I like that, but how long do I need to persevere for? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But let me ask you a question back. How long are you willing to persevere to fruitfulness? There's only one way to see the fulfillment, that fruit, that blessing, and it's through this perseverance. If you give up, you're going to be surrendering, surrendering blessing and fruitfulness. If we stop short and give up because we're too uncomfortable, there's not enough money, there's not enough this, I'm falling short in this area, I'm lacking, 
I, I don't feel bold enough. I don't feel qualified enough. That's where we have to lean in on God in perseverance. It might feel like the warfare is too much. It might feel like it's too much of a burden. But if you give up, you will surrender the promised blessing in all of its fullness. And the only way to get to the promise and the abundance is to go through it with God's grace of perseverance. The enemy really, really wants to take you out and to stop you. We have to get that in our thinking. We are in a spiritual war. We don't have to respond with fear, but we respond as those who have the armor of God on ready because we're going into battle. He wants to take us out, but it doesn't, uh, he doesn't want the kingdom to move forward in areas of your life. But if you continue, if you don't quit, you will bear fruit. And not only that, this brings God glory. Number five, God's glory. I love 1 Corinthians 6.20. It's been ringing in my ear all year long. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Here's the thing. Life is never going to really make sense. You're always going to feel a longing and an emptiness within you if you just live like a consumer. As a follower of Jesus, we aren't meant to stay consumer Christians. We, were, we, we have to shift into a posture that this life, this is ministry. This is my assignment. These people that I'm surrounded by, this is my ministry. And ministry is actually what you were created for, to serve God and make a difference in this world. We minister to him and we minister to others. And as we pour out our lives and live as if this life is not my own, that's where God gets incredible glory. But pastor, ministry, that's, ministry's what you do up there on stage, right? We come listen to a nice sermon, lift our weary souls each week. No, sweet Ned, that is, that is incorrect. You, Ned are a minister of the gospel. See, I've redeemed Ned. He's a minister of the gospel. Let's empower Ned this morning. You each have your own mission field, your own place where you are called to make a difference for God powerfully, uniquely. That's the point, that you are a minister. And so as ministers... This pattern is always going to be, you're going to communicate, opposition will come, but you're going to persevere. The blessing will be fruitful, and God will be glorified. Amen. You are not your own, you were bought with a price. You know, if you've, if you've brought your heavy Bible this morning, flip on over to the maps. I know a lot of you have been dying to get into the maps of scripture. And today, today is your opportunity. And though the maps are, are not quite as, as ordained as the words of God, they are tucked in to those leather-bound pages. So let's open up. You can flip over there. I'm also gonna put it on the screen, okay? Just wanted to, you know, build it up for a sec. We're not, we're not quite ready for Cyprus. 
Thank you, Bridget. Just hide Cyprus for a moment. That was the big reveal. Okay. Just hide Cyprus. Put it under a bushel. All right. Maps ready. Maps engaged. Uh, Apple Maps, you can even flip on that. Okay. I want to show you four places that are mentioned in scriptures and the pattern of ministry that's revealed in each of these journeys. Remember, this is the first missionary journey in scripture. We're going to primarily focus on the first two, and then I'm just going to touch on the last two. And the, the main point is for you to see the pattern of ministry that's taking place. So number one, here it is, the pattern of ministry in Bridget in Cyprus. Behind the curtain is Cyprus with a big pink arrow pointing directly to that island. So this is AD 46 to 48, the first journey of Paul. You can see that Cyprus is an island just to the west of Syria, and and they're leaving Antioch. We touched on Antioch a couple weeks ago from North Syria, and they're sailing to Cyprus. So here we are, Acts 13.1, ready? Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. Niger is a Latin word that means dark or black. Possibly he's from northern Africa. Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now Herod, in the very previous chapter, we didn't touch on that, but the last chapter, Herod, which is like a title of a ruler, the people were glorifying him. He's like a god. And you can actually go to Israel and see the Hippodrome where they had horse races. You can see the exact spot where he would have been sitting, where they were praising him. And instead of giving the glory to God, he receives the glory and drops dead. We're seeing a theme through the book of Acts. (laughs) Lying about church finances? You're dead. (laughs) Receiving the glory for yourself? You're dead. (laughs) Goodbye. So here we are in Acts 13, and Menaean is a lifelong friend of Herod who just died. So Menaean's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to choose to not be associated with that man anymore. And uh, wow, that was really powerful. I think I'm going to follow that Jesus guy. So here's Menaean with the Jesus followers. And, and, and he's kind of like a socialite of the day. I mean, he's known Herod his whole life. He would have been like a modern day influencer. If you're, if you're looking for where an influencer is in scripture, Menaean, friend of dead Herod. And so he had come to faith in Christ and uh, he's kind of like an influencer of the day. And so you'll notice that Luke, the, the, the author of the book of Acts, is, is still calling Saul, Saul. His name changes to Paul after this portion of scripture, but still Saul here. And let's look at verse two. While they were worshiping the Lord. Now the word there for worshiping isn't necessarily just, just song. It's like the worship services. They were conducting worship services and leading there together. And they were fasting. So worshiping and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said. So while they're in their church services, kind of like what we're doing right now, they're singing, they're, they're teaching, they're choosing to fast, and that is the time that they're hearing God speak. 
I mean, this is a really good example that, that God is, is potentially in that place of where we're seeking him in worship and in fasting, meeting together, that that's the very place that he wants to speak to us. And even right now, while we are still worshiping, though it's not in song, we are still worshiping, aren't we? In the way that we give attention to God in his word. And so the Holy Spirit said, here it is, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Remember last time we looked at the church of Antioch and how Barnabas went and he brought back Saul. He's like, hey, we need some help here in Antioch. And they were there for an entire year discipling the people. And that's the place where followers of Jesus were first called Christians. Christians is found in scripture, Acts eleven twenty six. So the church was in a good place. They were built up. They were operating in a healthy manner, thriving together. And God's like, you're, you're doing a good job, actually. Uh, let's move your leaders onward. And so he's like, thanks for that. Time to move on. And did you know that we are not here just to get to a healthy place as a church and healthy believers and become spiritually fat and just kumbaya together into eternity? As beautiful as that is, we're here for so much more. We're here to serve God and others to make a difference in the world around us. Now, I, I want to talk a minute about um, if we are too insular in our own lives or even as a church, if we just become a pond, that is the place where, where we become stagnant. Ponds, there's nothing flowing in and out of it. It becomes a stagnant place. There, there's nothing that's worth drinking from a stagnant pond. There's probably hardly anything living in it. Only mold is thriving and maybe some algae. We are called to be a mighty rushing river into the nations. Ezekiel talks a bit about this. He prophesies the river that comes from the throne of God into the world. And he says, this river carries fish of every kind and color, meaning the nations are flowing with the power of the Holy Spirit into, into all the world, coming and joining and being a part of this kingdom of God. And this mighty river is going into dry, salty, dead places and making everything that is dead alive and teeming with life. The river is the movement of the Holy Spirit. The water is Jesus and the word and God's people flowing in and through the power of the Holy Spirit, releasing fresh water, re releasing new life, releasing an expansion of the Garden of Eden wherever we go. That, that, is, that is the place that we are called to be, not stagnant ponds, not just gathering over and over again and not letting anything out. We're called to receive from the presence of God and to gift it to the world around us. So this is like the Holy Spirit moving in us. And Paul and Barnabas gave a year of their life for, for basically a church conference hopping kind of event for these people. And he's like, okay, you've soaked up enough. It's time for us to move on. It's time to reach out. It's time to expand, reach with the kingdom of God. And you know, that's what we're all about with deeper roots and wider reach. That's, that's the challenge for us. And that is challenging for us sometimes when we want to stay comfortable, when we like what's happening. 
But it's, it's in that place of becoming uncomfortable that actually the kingdom of God can move through your life at a greater level. So that's good for us to remember. We never wanna become so self-focused as a community and become a bigger pond. We, we are called to gather, to raise up, and to send out. Either locally here in Los Angeles, throughout the U.S. or internationally to do God's work. We are a river to the city and to the nations. Verse three. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. This is a great example of the laying of hands in scripture and authority, a covering, and ascending that took place. So this is the intro and here comes the ministry pattern of what we're talking about. Verse four. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Number one, communication. They got right to work. Okay, everybody, fellow Jews, it's nice to meet you. Let's show you now what God says, what the truth is of the Messiah. Paul would always go to his own people first. Now, there's a, a bit of a, a difference in a theological stance here, um, which is a, kind of a big word for the study of Scripture and the study of God. But some people believe you're supposed to go to the Jew first. Any kind of missions trip, always go to the Jew first. You come to a new city, go to the Jews first. And others have a theological stance that this was go to your own people first. There's a discussion, that's a discussion for another day. We're not going to get deep into it. Nevertheless, Paul, who's a Jew, went to the Jewish people first to illuminate and unveil the eyes of their hearts to see Jesus as the Messiah. And they had John to assist them. We're going to talk a little more about John later. Verse six, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos on the west side of Cyprus, they came upon a certain magician a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Intro, a new character to the cast, a magician named Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus really means son of Jesus. This is not referring to Jesus's children. No, he did not have children with Mary Magdalene, all the conspiracy theorists out there. Jesus was a incredibly common name. If your name is Josh or Joshua, raise your hand for a second. We got a few in the room. Okay, we got a few. It would have been like Jesus. In fact, Joshua is the Old Testament version of Jesus, Yeshua. And they both mean the Lord is my salvation. So verse seven, he, bar Jesus, was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. I'm pretty positive this is the only place in scripture where someone is described as a man or woman of intelligence. So he is a smart cookie. (laughs) Smart, smart man. A man of intelligence. And I love this example because even with being brilliant, he knew he was missing something. He longed for God. It says that the proconsul who summoned Barnabas and Saul sought to hear the word of God. There was a real hunger that was alive within him and he was actively searching it out. Verse eight, but Elymas the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, 
seeking to turn the proconsul away from his faith. Circle in your scripture, opposed. Number two, opposition. All right, so we're starting to see phase two of this mission take shape. They, they've started their communication, and now there's opposition immediately following. Elemis, this magician, is, is a little jealous. He, he's doing his tricks. He's, he's making things disappear. He probably was doing some sorcery, probably. And, and people started losing interest in what Elemis is doing, and they're being drawn into this new message. They're like, Elemis, I love your little tricks, your magic tricks, but these guys have something real. I can, I can feel it. I can see it. So he's like, I got to do something about this. I'm losing my audience. So he opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from his faith. I want you to stop for a second. This is actually really serious. I'm now, I know I'm talking about little dancing musician, uh, magician, but did you know that God takes this incredibly seriously? Scripture says that it would be better for you to tie a heavy rock around you and to jump off the end of the Santa Monica Pier. That would be better than misleading someone away from their faith. It would be better for you to do that in the eyes of God. It's a heavy warning to us in our own process. And, and as we, I mean, it's, we go through seasons of questioning there's deconstruction happening. There's whatever you're going through, a crisis that causes you to question. But there's a warning in there. Is there something in your faith that potentially is pushing someone else away from God? So it's not shocking that Paul actually has some very stern words for this new little distracting friend of his. Verse 9, but Paul, who was called, oh, sorry, Saul, who is called Paul, here's the name change, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at this man and said, you son of the devil. Did you know son of means that you have the characteristics of the devil? If you remember James and John, a couple of Jesus' disciples, they were called the sons of thunder. And what that meant was they had the characteristics of thunder. They were rowdy, they were bold, they were strong. But here Saul is calling this man a son of the devil. You have the attributes of Satan. Can you imagine if you said that to someone? <laughs> you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy. The language here for deceit is that you're literally baiting a hook. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of our God? Straight paths. Someone comes to faith, point A to point B, the closest and fastest way is a straight line. But here he is coming and making it crooked. And he's making the path wander. He's making individuals wander. He says, stop making the path crooked. Now check this out. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. Now, usually we talk about the hand of the Lord upon someone and we're like, what a blessing that would be. The hand of the Lord is on that person. Well, here, the hand of the Lord was on him in a way of punishment or at least discipline taking place. Look at what happens here. You will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. 
He's like, what you're doing is so awful that the spiritual darkness that you're leading people into, yeah, God is going to blind your natural eyes for a season. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. The word spoken, and boom, he's instantly made blind and in need of help from others. Now, before you drive your car over to Hollywood and park over at the Magic Castle and give, and you, you rock up to a little dinner party at the magician show and try blinding someone, I need you to hold on for a second. This was some serious judgment on the spot, but this was Paul's moment of perseverance. This is his response to the opposition. He didn't give up on his friend, this new friend that came to faith. He didn't give up on this part of town because it was too difficult, full of spiritual confusion and oppression. He persevered. Now look at the fruit, verse 12. Then the proconsul believed. No kidding. That would, that would shock, I think, anyone. But he believed. When he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He's like, whoa, this is real. The fear of the Lord, the awe, the wonder, the confirmation of, of God really hit him. And he's like, I am in. I am in. I also believe that any kind of potential demonic stronghold that was upon him of confusion lifted in that moment as well. And of course, all of these things bring incredible glory to God. Notice this last phrase. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. In scripture, they don't spend much time focusing on the eloquence and the delivery of the speaker or preacher. The focus isn't about the speaker or preacher. Wow, Peter really knew how to, how to bring an expert three-point sermon. No, the focus was on the message. The focus was on God himself. And so here it doesn't say he was astonished at the teaching of Paul. It says he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord, the message. Did you know it was never meant to be about the messenger and that it's always meant to be about the message? So this brilliant guy, this proconsul, you'd maybe expect him to be astonished at this message, but he's impacted by the saturated presence of God found in the message. Okay, say so this is the first missionary journey. Up until now, the church was in regions. Remember, there was a scattering that took place because of persecution. And this is the first time there's an intentional movement of going two different locations. They're saying, hey, our assignment is to take this thing to the ends of the earth. That's our assignment. That's our mission. So we better start launching out. Now we move on to the second missionary journey. The second journey is Paul and Barnabas at Antioch in Pisidia. Let's go ahead and put that up on the screen. There it is in Turkey. This is not the same Antioch that we talked about previously. This is Antioch in Pisidia. Now let's look at verse 13 of chapter 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them. He returned to Jerusalem. But they, were on, they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. This is about 100 miles north of the coast. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogues and they sat down. 
And after reading from the law and the prophets, the, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can say it. So Paul's like, you know, thank you for that opportunity. He's given an opportunity to speak. And he says, thank you for, so much for this opportunity. You know, I, I'm, I'm new in town. I'm a little bit more of an observer. I'm more of an observer. So I'm going to just take a second, let you guys do your thing. And I'm just going to live a really good life for a while. And I think one day you're going to ask me, you know, what's different about you? What's, what's different about you, Paul? I just see something. You're making these tents and you just are singing songs so joyful. And, and, and then maybe they'll come to faith. Nope. Paul's like, oh, you're giving me an opportunity to speak? Here we go. Here we go. Communication. Boldness. Full of faith. Full of the Spirit. Here it is. He's like, let's go. We got some things to say around here. So chapter 13, verse 16, Paul stood up and he motioned with his hand and said, are you ready for this? We're going to read it together. Let's stand up. This is just a portion of it. This is what Paul stood up in the synagogue and spoke out. This is a gospel presentation, very clear, spoken to the people. Let's read together. Ready? Verse 26. There we go. I think I'll backtrack in a second, Bridget. All right. Acts 14, 26. Ready? Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. To us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up from him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that though this man, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, 
lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Well done. Sit down. There's the gospel right there. I'm going to give you four characteristics that we see in every single gospel account in the book of Acts. This is the gospel presentation where they would stand up and speak out boldly, full of faith. What is the truth? Sometimes we hear all sorts of gospel presentations. Just simply raise your hand, give your yes, and then, you know, you'll get your ticket to heaven or, you know, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's just about being a son. It's just, it's just about being a son. There's all these things that are actually partially true, part of the gospel. Let's look at actually these elements that we see in every single gospel account. Ready? Number one, Jesus is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. Every single account starts off with this. The Old Testament prophesied about the Messiah and it is him. Number two, Jesus was wrongfully put to death. It's wrong what happened. He was perfect. He was without sin. He was blameless. He didn't deserve to die. Number three, God raised Jesus from the dead. Number four, hearers must repent and believe to be forgiven of their sin. There is always a hammering home for the salvation of our sins. It's for the salvation of our sins. It's for the salvation of our sins. I myself was even looking for some clarity, like talking about the gospel and, and, and what are the parts, the elements that, that we actually need to drive home. And every time I saw these gospel accounts, it was always for the saving of your sins. Repent, it's for the saving of your sins. And I think in this culture, we water down the gospel presentation so often. But it's time for us to speak with the same boldness of the early church here in 2023. It is for the salvation of your sins. He is your savior. This is in every gospel presentation in the book of Acts. And this is step one of the clarity of our communication, the understanding of the gospel and the ability to speak it. I love that portion of scripture. I want to focus in on verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything. Freed from everything. This is, this is a judicial term. This is, picture banging a mallet on the wood. You are freed. Oh, but what about that thing? I just, I, I can't. I can't quite get free from that thing that I did years ago. It just still haunts me. I get in worship and I'm like thinking about that thing or I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the lifestyle that was just so fresh recently. You are freed. You are freed. Sin has lost its grip on you. You are no longer a sinner. You are no longer a wretch. You are freed, guilty no more. 
you are called a saint. The holiness of Jesus is imputed to you. Righteous, freed. This is your true identity. And it's time for us to not, to not fall back into our old patterns, our old, our old ways of doing it because we've actually attached faith. Well, I'm, I'm not actually free. So I, I, I have this hobble because, you know, I, I'm, I'm in process. You are free. Attach your faith to your new nature. You are doing the cross a disservice by disempowering the cross itself. Did he resurrect you or not? You are freed. Everything from your life that you held on to with sin and death. Freed. Verse 42. They went out. The people begged that these things might be told to them next Sabbath. They're like, mind blown, heart exploding. I don't quite comprehend what you're talking about. Hey, this was really good. It's new for me. It's taken me a second. Can, can we talk about this again next Saturday? Maybe next Saturday we can talk about this again. That'd be helpful. I don't blame them. It's a real fresh, real fresh word. And so verse... Um, 43, after meeting in the synagogue, once it broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke to him, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Do you remember that almost every time they get up to speak, they're urging them to not quit and to continue, even when they're brand new believers? Don't quit. Continue. Persevere. Don't quit continue. You've got to persevere. I know it's tempting. I know there's opposition. I know it's uncomfortable. Do not quit. Persevere. What has God called you to? Don't quit. Rise up. Attach yourself to God's faith. Let the spirit move through you, not your own strength. Pull on his strength. He will let you rise above any opposition and discouragement. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear this, this word. It was, it was full of Jews in the crowd. It was full of Gentiles. But when the Jews saw the crowds, what do you think happened? Filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what was spoken, reviling him. Contradiction and reviling. Did you know this is what happens when you preach Jesus? Contradiction. There's debate that takes place, which again, if you don't know the answer, that's okay. Pause in a place of love, search it out. That's actually one of the places that you can grow the fastest because you've got some motivation. And secondly, people will contradict you and then they will attack you. It's going to move from intellect to a personal attack. But notice the perseverance that takes place here in verse 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out, not a little softer, not with a brighter smile on their face. They spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. And since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. 
So Paul is publicly speaking with these Jews and Gentiles present in the crowd and says in verse 47, for so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. There's a contrast to those that rejected the word. Too high and mighty, they were jealous. They didn't wanna receive this free gift. But the Gentiles who thought maybe, maybe this is only for the Jews, they said, this is for us too, till the ends of the earth. Woo, let's go. He's like, Jews, you don't want this free gift of salvation by grace? Okay, I got some hungry people right over here that want a nice, tasty, meaty treat themselves. And it says they were appointed to eternal life. Appointed to eternal life. Isn't that interesting? So they were appointed. Okay, so do, do I choose? Did God choose me? Is it my free will? Did God call me? Is it out of my control? Am I a robot? What's going on here? Appointed. The quick answer, yes. <laughs> Calvinism or Arminianism? Somewhere in there. The age-old debate. Listen, it's a mystery. It really is a mystery. I can find scriptures for both. But God hasn't revealed to us how our free choice and his sovereign choice exactly work together. But scripture does teach both, and they're both true. I choose, he chose. He called me, I called on his name. Verse 49, we're around the corner from the end here. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Hey, have you guys heard? You can follow this Jesus for free. It's the gift of grace. You just have to turn to him. Jesus, be my Lord. Save me from my sins. And he makes you completely new to walk in righteousness, to know him. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, drove them out of the district. And what did they do? They shook off the dust from their feet. What do you think that looked like? Do you think they actually did that? Little, little, <laughs> little dusty, dusty? This was a huge insult. It was like, this city's rejected the message, so we're not gonna spend any more time in this place because they're being very naughty. Very, very naughty. Verse 51, shook off the dust from their feet against them, went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I, I, I read that again and I was like, that, that's a, quite a contrast. They shook the dust off their feet and then it's like, they had so much joy and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You'd think they'd be like, we need a debrief, guys. We actually need a debrief. What was that? What was that? That was kind of heavy. A lot of people rejected it, kind of disappointed. How come more people didn't turn to Jesus? I felt like really the presence was moving, right? But they were too lit up on the glory and the goodness of God, filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. 
I actually believe this is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit within us, where compassion, fatigue, and disappointment and rejection actually does not get deep within us. It actually falls off of us like water off of a duck's back. And you get some difficult people around you you're trying to bring the message to, and your heartstrings are pulled. You really want it for them. You're trying so hard. You're, you're thinking about it at night. You're, you're losing your energy. They're rejecting the message. I don't know. I feel like God's like, it's time to get happy. It's time for joy of the Holy Spirit to refill you to not partner with the compassion fatigue of this city. It doesn't mean we, we don't do anything. Look how much they were doing. They weren't, they weren't just in la-la land. They, they, were, they were doing the work of the ministry in the trenches, but filled with his joy. And I, I think of Pastor Bill Johnson in Reading, and, and he says, in this time of scripture, the way they would do farming is different from how we do it today. Right now, we um, will plow the land, get the soil ready, and then sow the seed, right? But what would they do in biblical times? They would actually scatter the seed, and then the plow would come following. And what we can remember when we're having discussions with those around us, when we're having these interpersonal relationships where we're bringing the message, we're bringing the communication forward, can we actually trust that these seeds will become a harvest because we sow the seed. That's the faithfulness that we can bring. That's all we can do. Sow the seed, and we know that the plow is on the way. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We sow the seed, and the Holy Spirit is going to plow those seeds into the hearts and lives of individuals. Faithful with communication, faithful with the message, Speak with boldness and clarity, sow the seeds, let the Holy Spirit be the plow, and watch what he does with the harvest. So here we are in Iconium. It's not too far, about a two, three-day walk. And here again, they spoke to the Jews. We see communication. And can I just say again, we've got to use our words. You know, sometimes we're, we're a little too soft with our approach, I, including myself, getting into certain circles. Do we, have, do we have more faith that, that people will push you and the message away or that God's word actually holds life? If you've been 30 years in your office and you haven't spoken to your coworkers about Jesus, maybe you're living a life that's a little unplugged. You know, it's, it's time. It's time. I think it's also important to note that they spoke with power. The words held power, and then signs and wonders followed. The Lord's like, I'm, I'm going to show these individuals that I am God. I'll bring a stirring in their hearts. I'll, br I'll bring a digestion. But I also, also want to show my power through signs and wonders. This is, this is Jesus being expressed with the message of Jesus. And so where's the opposition here in Iconium? The short version is that the, the unbelieving Jews were, were poisoning the minds of others. The city was divided, and soon these Jews and Gentiles were both in an uproar, and they tried to stone them. They tried to kill them. So they fled to Lystra and Derbe, but they continued to preach the gospel. 
I told you last time that in Matthew, Jesus actually addresses that. He says, when you're, when you're persecuted, you can flee. You can flee. There are times. And here they fled to Lystra and Derby, but continued to preach the gospel. Keep in mind that when you speak the truth, you actually cannot change someone's mind or their heart. All you can do is be faithful to share the message. Faithful in the pattern of ministry. Let's look again at that pattern. Communication, oppression, perseverance, fruit, and the glory goes to God. Now, I want to just summarize the very last portion here um, for the sake of time. But in this town of Lystra, there was, there was a man that was miraculously healed. They had all known this guy and seen him because he had been, he had been in need of healing since he was born. And because the apostles brought the healing, the whole city was like, these men are gods. These men are gods. And the priests these pagan priests were getting their sacrifices ready to throw down and be like, these are gods, let's praise them. And the, res- the, the resounding voices of Paul and Barnabas was, was a response to this praise. And it says, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard it, they tore their garments, rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men. Of like nature with you, we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. They're not gentle with it. They're like, all these gods you're talking about, all these things you're worshiping, these are vain things. Turn to the real God. Stop the idolatry and come to him. And in verse 18, Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them, meaning they were like, okay, we're hearing you, but you're gods, you're you're, you're gods. I, I, I think you still might be gods. I think you still might be. Verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. What just happened there? That was a big shift. They stoned him, he's left for dead. Basically, from the other region they had been preaching the gospel, a mob comes and, and they stir up this anger and frustration and they stone him to the point of death where he's left for dead. But what happens when he's left for dead is that he arises, he goes about his way, and these men are out of their minds for Jesus. They're they are crazy for God. Rather than like fleeing again, they actually just retraced their steps. They went back to every single place that they'd visited previously, I'm sure because they wanted to check in on everyone. You know, they're following up. How's everyone doing? We still believe this. How are you, how are you doing in your faith? Can I encourage you a little bit more? And it says... They strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. There it is again. Continue in the faith. Don't quit. And saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations. It's going to be hard. But through that, we will enter the kingdom of God. 
And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God has done with them. They shared all the testimonies, all the healings, all the good things God was doing, how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. I love that. It's, they, they gave the glory right back to God. Look at what God did. He just used us, ordinary men, to speak his word. Power came, lives were changed. All glory be to God. And then they had a little vacation time. They remained there no little time with the disciples. They were like, yeah, I guess we'll rest for a second. That's, that's good, that's good. Let's, let's spend some time together. All right, so there's the portion of scripture. I know that we went, we went heavy today with, with, with the word, which I'm, I'm actually loving, but um, I'm glad you guys are tracking with me. So what is the point of all this? We've gone through these first missionary journey chapters. We've looked at this pattern of ministry for us to follow. And I believe that God is wanting us to digest these scriptures and let that settle within us. Are we feasting on what God did here? How radical his followers were. It it should stir within us a desire to live for more. I know I've been asking myself these questions the last few weeks. Where have I been settling? Where have I been too comfortable? Where have I not spoken up enough? Where have I wanted to maybe back down a little bit because it's getting too hard? Where have I become entitled? And I I feel like if we do this with the Holy Spirit, and it has to be done with the Holy Spirit, otherwise it's always gonna go into some sort of falling short. It has to be done with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But, but it's a reminder that this life is not my own. I'm not living here for, for Tommy's success. I'm not living here to have a comfortable income. I'm not here to have a platform. I'm not here to help everyone make some great films. This life is actually not my own. And what an what a insane thing to say to someone. It's, it's so upside down from how we talk now. Hey, you are not your own. And Paul unashamedly tells us this, that we actually belong to God. And that really strips away some major entitlement and dramatically shifts the way that we live our lives and adopts us to the truth. That this this money that I'm so concerned about, it's not my own. That relationship, I'm putting so much time and thought into it, it's not your own, this life is not your own. This house, I'm trying to be responsible, I'm I'm trying to to live as a responsible 30-something, this house is not your own. This job is not your own. This project, all these good things that you're holding so tightly to, mm, that's also not your own. It's a lot, lot. okay. I will, one finger at a time, release to the Lord. (laughs) But there's actually an incredible amount of freedom that comes when when we do give our 
entire world to God because we've come to trust him. We've come to see how good he is. And over time, you're like, actually, I feel so free and light giving this over to God. And so what I want as a pastor, um, it's still so early in the year, but my request to you, my challenge for you is to get with God and to journal about some of these things. Write down again what he's calling you into in your life, your purpose. What does he want you to do in your, what does he want to do in your life this year? How does he want to stretch your faith? Who does he want you to minister to? It's all about God raising up his kids with purpose and with purity and passion to walk with Jesus every single day and to bring others into this same path of life. So let's let the Holy Spirit be the one that does that deep igniting within us again, that fresh commissioning. Will you give your yes? Will you say, here I am, send me? Let's go ahead and stand up together. Holy Spirit, these words of scripture are, are full of ignition fuel. And some of us, including myself, we get so wrapped up into the things right in front of us, earthly things, temporary things. And we, we've forgotten the greater mission. But actually through that, we find life, we find peace, we find joy, we find that, that movement of the Holy Spirit that changes our lives. And so I ask that even today that this, this church body and every single individual here would move from, from being those that might have areas of stagnation to becoming a mighty rushing whip, river of the power of God through our lives again. What is our calling? Where is our ministry? And guide us by your powerful, steady hand into the discovery of the more. Would you do this deep work within us, God? We invite you, even what Catherine prayed earlier, do that missions work within us. Expand our mission's heart. And let us each have a fresh commissioning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.